Over the past few weeks, several of you have been involved, some of you have been involved in the History Wall Project in the Social Hall. This is a project we do in a lot of interim ministries to invite people to bring their memories and reflections of their life in the congregation or their knowledge of the congregation before their participation and have fun putting it on the wall. This has been going on for several weeks now and with sort of the, you know, the rolling return of the snowbirds, it's going to go on a little while longer. <laughs> so, but today I'm going to take a few moments to reflect upon some of what I've learned by what you've put on that wall and some other sources of the history of this congregation. Because one of the things we want to do in a transitional period is take a little look at the past and and be sure we're comfortable with it and ready to move into the future. Some congregations have ugly stuff sitting there that they've ignored and others don't. I don't think you've been ignoring ugly stuff. But you certainly have quite a bit of history for a congregation that's only existed for 63 years. And one cannot recount it all in a morning or even a day. But here are some lessons, reflections, from looking at what you've put on the history wall, looking at the 50th anniversary history of the congregation that Ernest Dibble compiled, and conversations I've had with people, some of whom have handed me folders full of archives, some of which I've read and some of which I haven't gotten to yet. This congregation began on May 30th, 1951, when what are described as 15 interested individuals met with a representative of the American Unitarian Association at a hotel in Clearwater and began what was then known as the Unitarian Fellowship of Clearwater. Later that year, on June 13th, it was accepted into membership in the American Unitarian Association. But it wasn't until 1959 that this congregation was incorporated as the Unitarian Church of Clearwater. Along the way, it had the services of its first part-time minister, Horace Westwood, who was trying to live in Florida in retirement, but was kind of called back to service to work with this fledgling congregation. It is for him that the Westwood Room is named. The most recent step in the history is the move to interim ministry after the completion of a long and happy ministry with Abhijan Amanchi. And the transition team and I have been looking at the history and creating the history wall to help us work, this congregation work through that sort of knowing the history and being ready to move forward and continue it. For indeed, as Felix Adler, the founder of Ethical Culture said, the past speaks to us in a thousand voices warming and comforting, animating and stirring to action. Well, first, here's something about some historical trends. Those of you who I've sat down with a bit know that I actually like statistics and quantitative studies of history. 
but I have not crunched numbers for this morning. I've just looked at some. But we happen to have very detailed compilations of membership, Sunday school enrollment, and budgets going back to 1985. And the, the records exist back from there, but these are all handy-dandy on one sheet of paper, so that's what I'm working with. In 1985, what's that, 28 years ago? Membership of adults at a 301 and children's education enrollment at 65. Now, in those years intervening, almost three decades, adult membership has ranged from a low of 179 in the year 2000 to a high of 407 in 1996. Currently, it is around 306. I say around because that was the last official count, but we've had both deaths and new members since then. So I'm not... Let's say it's a bit above 300 and leave it at that for the moment. Children's religious education enrollment was over 100 from 1991 to 1998. It dropped to 25 after the departure of the Reverend John Bersiaga in 1997, but today stands at 85. And adult membership also dropped after Reverend Bersiaga's departure from 407 to 200. That was a major split in this church and in its history. However, both adult membership and children's religious education enrollment grew during the ministry of Abhi Janamanchi grew steadily through the first 10 years and then leveled off, which is not an uncommon pattern in a long-term ministry. Most of today's membership has joined since the start of Abhi's ministry. However, some have been here much longer. Ted and Janice Mackler, Charles and Muriel Harris, and Kate and William Couch joined in the 1960s. Dorothy Wiley and Gareth Whitehurst are among those here since the 1970s. And the names of all current members, except for the last half dozen or so who signed up, and the years they joined are posted on the history wall in the social hall. So you can go and look and see just who's been here how long. So there have been ups and downs, and for the last few years, a fairly st steady level at a bit above 300 adults at 75, 85 children and youth in religious education. And one of the things I just want to mention this morning is that all the data that counts in the Unitarian Universal Association, that is to say, on which your expected annual share contribution is based, only counts adults who are voting members, which is possibly one of the least useful measures there is. Attendance is a much more important measure. Who's actually here? And attendance includes not just adults, but children. One of my colleagues at the UU Minister's Retreat a few weeks ago said to me, you have how many adult members? And he said, and I told him the latest numbers I had, and he said, well, that's a little less than we have. How many children do you have? I told him that, and he said, I guess that makes you a larger church than mine. Because his had almost no children, but more adults. Adults and children count.
There's also in this congregation of interest a long history of engagement in the community. And from the very start, members have been involved in community betterment and increasingly in social justice. Again, one could spend the whole morning on that history, but here are just a few highlights. In the 1960s and 70s, involvement around the Vietnam War draft counseling and a decision whether or not to be involved in the sanctuary movement with Latin American refugees. The vote to become a sanctuary failed by a single vote. And much of this work was during the leadership of this congregation's first full-time ministry. Minister J. Richard Norsworthy, who's here this morning. And it was an exciting time, and Ted Mackler, in looking back at those times, recalls that was a very vibrant and vital time and in involvement in social justice work. In 1974, the congregation became a member of Religious Community Services, a long-standing commitment for betterment throughout this area. And then there was involvement in interfaith relationships and coalitions, especially during the ministries of John Bersiaga and Abi John Amanchi, and continuing to this day, manifested not just in meetings of clergy, but in such things as Festival Ruach and the Interfaith Thanksgiving service that happens every year in this area. Use of the journey toward wholeness process around the year 2000 led to the formation of a racial and cultural diversity subcommittee. And what I found written nowhere until someone put it on the wall, involvement in global warming issues, the 350 movement. There are pictures of that on the wall and your involvement in it in the social hall. There's a Hispanic daycare project and as Mark Hanick mentioned during Joys and Sorrows, the involvement in Faith in Action for Strength Together, FAST, which began last year and which is rapidly becoming an important part of this congregation's engagement in the larger world. Buildings. Go and look at the history wall. There's pictures of the construction of the first church building, which is now the social hall and an aerial photo of this building going up, the octagon. This property was purchased in 1960 during the tenure of the congregation's second part-time minister, Frank Edwin Smith. And it's interesting to note that it was financed in part by a loan, the construction of the first building, which was completed in 1962. 20 years later, you built the octagon. And one of you wrote on the wall a rather long and heartfelt appreciation of those who provided leadership in building the octagon 1982-1983 of the visionary character of that decision and the work that carried it forward. Now, I will have to tell you one thing that a minister would notice that you might not about this building. It has one of the best minister's offices anywhere. <laughs> it's large enough to hold a small meeting in. It has bookcases all along one wall. It's bright. And it's a good place to work and meet with people. And, and this 
Some of the newer people may not know this. It has its own entrance to an exit to the outside. <laughs> this is helpful. <laughs> it is a fine room. But this is a fine building. An unusual building, to be sure, but as you heard a couple weeks ago, there was a Unitarian octagon you know, built early in the 1800s in Lexington, Massachusetts. There are several octagons out there. But we'll just think of this one as the best octagon, okay? Well, I was surprised uh, that the first couple of weeks of the history wall being up, there weren't a lot of postings, even though the transition team had seeded it. We got some pictures up there and some things from members in the team. But the past week and a half, it's taken off. And people have been posting pictures and notes and expressing their deep love for and appreciation of and their commitment to the Unitarian Universalists of Clearwater. People have expressed remembrances of folks who have passed on. Baby dedications have been noted. A few first visits. Those are always interesting to see. Maybe look at the first visits and see when they actually joined. In one congregation, I had someone who attended 17 years before he finally signed the membership book. <laughs> I don't think you have anyone in that category here, but it, maybe, maybe. One touching one is when a, minute, a member's partner joined. Other postings have to do with arts events, certainly the art gallery, but also folk concerts and the vagina monologues. And very clearly marked, Abhijan Amanchi's arrival and his departure. For most of you who are here, did join during that ministry. And that's a very important part of the history of this congregation as lived by the people who were here today. See, the history wall is an important part of the intentional work of interim ministry. It allows you to celebrate and also to grieve. To celebrate successes and achievements and to grieve losses. And every congregation has some of each. And particular in the context of the interim period, to celebrate the long, successful, and recently completed ministry of the Reverend Abi Janamanchi. It was a 14-year period of growth for you as a congregation and for him as a minister. These 14 years were a time when you grew as a congregation after a period of conflict and loss. And in 1999, you called a young, newly ordained minister and allowed him to grow as a minister. A lot of congregations can't do that. You can. And you should be proud of that. His career step from here is your achievement as well as his. And this is your gift to celebrate. But it is also time to grieve the end of that ministry and the loss of a minister whom you loved. An important aspect of this time is to be able to grieve that so you can be free to start a new ministry when you call a new minister in about a year.
or a year and a half. As I suggested, for many of you, Abi was the only minister you've known. So this is a time to affirm that your relationship, though with him, is also with the congregation. A congregation that treasured that ministry but is now poised for a new one, or will be soon poised for a new one. So the history of this church began with a meeting in a hotel in 1951. Not that unusual. The Unitarian Association was seeding fellowships all over the country. But its history from then on is much more of a success story than many of those fellowships had. Of growth, of development, of effectiveness in the community, of strong ministries, and of strong leadership. And that history is far from over, and there is much more to tell. Some people were bringing in things to put on the history wall this morning. Keep them coming. We're going to have it up at least another week so people have time to look at it, add to it, reflect upon it, and tell stories about what they see there. I need to hear some of the stories about what some people have put up that seem cryptic to me. And I'm glad to see, as I said, a whole new crew of snowbirds in this morning because you haven't got anything up there yet. And next week, after the service, when I, you know, second Sunday, I've scheduled a kind of meet and talk with the minister in the library after the service. We'll talk about the history wall and the history and your memories. Maybe we'll walk around and point at things and talk about them and see what else there is to learn from... Uh, a long history that I can only briefly touch upon today, some little highlights, some small highlights. So let's uh, keep thinking about the past, but in a good way, and share it, because that past is the basis for your future. And think about the things that maybe you want to mention one more time and let them leave behind, or the things you want to make sure don't get forgotten. The good things. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of pictures there of children who are now young adults in the Sunday school. And you can watch them growing up. Pictures of Miss Peggy sitting on the floor with them when they were real little. Pictures of people who are now adults as teenagers. People who are now adults when they were younger adults. <laughs> All sorts of stuff and old newsletters, and Sunday programs, and as I said, some cryptic notes. So after service today, if you haven't added something, add something. And if you want to talk about it, stay around next Sunday, and we'll talk about it and see what else there is to learn. You see, we remember and honor the past because it is important to know where we come from. But it's also important to know who we are in order to give direction to our future. To outgrow the past but not to extinguish it is a challenge. History reminds us that whatever is happening today, we are part of something bigger that existed long before us and will continue long after you and I as individuals are gone from the scene.
Or as Felix Adler said, the past speaks to us in a thousand voices, warming and comforting, animating and stirring to action. May the lessons from history be lessons that chart a course for a better future. Blessed be. Amen.